Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael, and uh, I got to tell you, I am glad to be back home. And uh, had an opportunity, Ginger and I did, to spend some time in Indonesia for a few weeks and um, to serve there on missions as well. We are grateful to see what God is doing across the nations, not only through something like Operation Christmas Child, but the churches that are on the frontier, literally the ends of the earth opposite from us, 9,000 miles away. Today I wear a shirt that is not, uh, I think it's the new Indiana fashion. You agree? Indonesian, and it's batik, and it is made... This one not particularly by hand, but some are literally made and painted by hand. Beautiful craftsmanship, but it represents a culture. It represents a people. It represents the most Muslim nation in the world. More than any other nation. Over 202 million Muslims in the country of Indonesia. 87, almost 88% of that population is uh, not believers not committed at all to Christianity and committed to Islam. So we come this morning grateful to be home, but also grateful to have gone and invested in the church in Indonesia. God is doing an amazing work there. And every time I have an opportunity to go and to come home, in those experiences I am challenged. I'm challenged about what is my life personally, to be about. I hope and trust that there was an impact made in our teaching in those seminaries and the gospel spread, gospel proclamation in the marketplaces. But I'm always a recipient. And the recipient part of me this time was, Michael, what is your life really to be committed to? And I've said to many of you, I've been refreshed during those weeks away. I've been refreshed about centering my life more centrally on Christ and His work and the advancement of His kingdom. Church, we ought to be asking ourselves that question regularly. What is our life to be consumed by? What is our life to be focused upon? Oh, why? Why has God preserved your life? Why are we still here and breathing our breath this day? I ask you to bring that question and that mindset to our passage this morning. I invite you to to ask those same kinds of questions. Why has God preserved my life? Why am I still here, but my spouse perhaps has gone to be with the Lord? Why am I still here, but my child has passed away? And if you're younger, you're 10, 15, 20, 25, you ought to be asking yourself, why do I have breath today? And what is it that God wants me to do with the, Lord willing, decades of life left in front of me? The Apostle Paul beautifully answers this question in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And that's going to be our starting point this morning is we consider as Christians, what should we be doing with a life, with this life on earth that we have been given? I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 this morning, beginning in verse 20. Here we find Paul writing to the Philippian church while he is imprisoned for his faith. 
Well, if you found Philippians chapter 1, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern as a reminder that God is King and His Word has total and absolute authority in our lives. And we are simply required to conform to what He says is right. Paul deeply loved the Philippian church. Listen to what he writes to them. Verse 20, I I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have courage, the courage now as always, to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ. And dying would be profit for me. If I continue living in my body, I will be able to work for the Lord. I do not know which to choose, living or dying. It is hard to choose between the two. I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is much better. But you need me here in my body. Since I am sure of this... I know I will stay with you to help you grow and have joy in your faith. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do pause and we ask that your spirit would speak to us through your word this morning. Father, I recognize that I'm only a messenger. Father, I cannot genuinely persuade hearts this morning, but your spirit can. And so I pray, Father, that you would confront each of us with your word. And Father, that if we are your children, we will be conformed to it. And we would center our lives on Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. And Father, if there be one among us this morning who does not know Christ, I pray, Father, you'd move on their hearts, grant them understanding, open their eyes this morning, and grant them faith that they might understand, believe, and trust, and receive you as Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the phrase that I find most fascinating from this passage is the first part of verse 21. Let me read it again. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ. I wonder this morning, how would most of us finish that statement? To me, the only important thing about living is. I'm going to pause and be quiet for a moment. I don't want you to speak it out loud, but how would you finish that sentence? The only important thing about living for me is. Would it be making a lot of money? (laughs) Would it be advancing your career? Would it be having nice things? Would it be feeling loved by others, having deep friendships, feeling accepted by others? Would you finish that sentence, the only important thing for me is loving my family well, getting married, getting a date? Some of you will get that later. Paying bills next week, helping my kids grow up safe and well, getting my schoolwork finished, that project done. How would you finish that statement today? How do you think you would finish that statement at the end of your life? 
when you knew time was short, would they be different? Listen, we know exactly how Paul answered that question toward the end of his life. He said, to me, the only important thing about living is Christ. Think about that for a minute. When he says, to me, we are hearing his deep-seated conviction. We're hearing Paul's emphatic and firmness in his beliefs. It's good. It's good that he's convicted. It's good that he's emphatic. It's good that he is firm in his convictions because he's imprisoned for them as he writes this very letter to us this morning. He says, the only important thing about living is Christ. In this statement, we're learning much about Paul's perspective on life. We're hearing of his personal identity. He says in this that the very essence of his life is his identification with Christ and Christ alone. In another letter he wrote, he wrote to the Galatian church. He's even more clear, I think, about his identity and how it's wrapped up in Christ. Listen to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In both Philippians and Colossians and here in Galatians, Paul is telling us that he has a new identity, a redeemed identity. From the moment of belief as he was traveling on that road to the city of Damascus to persecute all of those Christians he could find there, he was forever changed. A completely new man forever. He became a child of the one true and living God. How marvelous, how miraculous this great transformation in the life of the Apostle Paul. Christ became for him his motivation for all of his actions. Christ became the focus of his life. Christ became the source of his very strength in life. That's why he was able to endure so much through the decades of his life lived for Christ. I love the biography that we find, the autobiography, I guess, we find in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to these verses. Paul gives you just a snippet of a summary of what he endured for the sake of Christ and for the gospel advance. Listen in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11. Five times... The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and day adrift at sea. Verse 27, he says, I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. Wow. Paul so identified with Jesus Christ and the church that he was willing, church, to die. 
to be beaten, to be starved, to be shipwrecked, to be stoned because of his faith in Christ, his belief in Christ. We started off zeroing in on verse 21. But let's work our way back a bit. In Philippians chapter 1, we find Paul in prison toward the end of his life. We find that the gospel is advancing. We find that the palace guards that Paul is chained to are beginning to confess Christ as Savior because of his testimony there in prison. Believers are being more emboldened because of his courage to speak the gospel truth in hard places. As we read Philippians chapter 1, Paul gives us this incredible example to follow. He gives us a great pathway for what it means for the Christ follower to live his or her life well on this earth in such a way that God is totally glorified with our lives. Paul helps us not only understand how we are to spend this earthly life in a worthwhile manner, I think his example provides for us a reminder that for most of us, this Christ-centered living that we've been singing about and talking about and reading about this morning, it's going to require of us, church, likely a refocusing of our lives. That's what our 16 days in Indonesia did for me. There was a refreshment of the soul. There was a reminder about what really matters in life. All this temporal stuff, don't get me wrong, it's important for we live on an earth in a bodily form. But it's not the most important thing. Our jobs, they're important, they provide, they help develop the culture around us. They matter, they're obedience to Genesis 1 commands. But they're not the most important thing. We need to find our lives, churched in 2017, re-centered, refocused on Christ and Christ-centered living. Well, in Philippians 1, I think Paul gives us three expectations for those who desire to say with him, My life is Christ. The most important thing about living for me is Christ. I had an ambitious hope we would get to all three this morning. That may well not happen. We'll at least get to that first, and we will continue the conversation perhaps in weeks to come. Here, though, this morning, these words, Christ-centered living requires that we would be a people who are courageously displaying the greatness of Christ. Look back with me in Philippians 1, verse 20. Paul says, I expect... And hope that I will not fail Christ. I almost can't read those words. I expect and I hope that I will not fail Christ in anything. But that I will have the courage, not tomorrow, the courage now. The courage now as always to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth earth, whether I live or die. Can I just ask you, church, would you just commit verse 20 and 21 to memory this week? So, Michael, I'm not good at memorization. Fine, read it 300 times. It'll get there. 
Let our minds be saturated with the truths. Paul says, I expect and I hope that I will fail Christ in nothing. And that I would have courage. Listen to me. Christ-centered living requires of His followers courageous living. It means right now, making the decision in my life, not tomorrow, not for eternity future, but today on earth, in real life, real time. God, today I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to make the decision to live courageously so that your glory would be on display, so that others would see your greatness. Paul's desire was nothing less than to show the greatness of Christ on earth. Listen, Jesus... Jesus' earthly ambition was to achieve the mission for which He had been sent. He says, listen, He says, I've come and I'm going to give my life that many would be ransomed. That many would be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Christ came with this holy, incredible ambition for the redemption of mankind. In so doing... He prays in John 17, 1, Father, the hour has come. That hour, He was right upon His crucifixion. He says, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. Christ knew that in His life, and in His death, and in His resurrection, that the Father would be glorified. Paul wanted nothing less in his own life. Imagine, he's imprisoned, he's chained, he's sharing with palace guards, the emperor's guards, <laughs> the good news of Christ. He wants nothing less than redemption of mankind. And there were men before him that he wanted to share the gospel with. Christ, in John 17, 4, Jesus declares, I glorified you, Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Christ's desire was to redeem mankind, and in so doing, to bring glory and honor to the Father. That's part of the role of the Son. He's to shine a light on the glory of the Father. Let me ask you, what will it mean for you to show the greatness of Christ in your life? Right here, right now, on earth. I don't mean next week. I don't mean in 2018 when you get your act together. If you're like me, it's never going to be fully together, right? Right? Am I the only one? Like if we wait to, to live courageously for Christ, if we wait to be generous with our time and our resources and our giftedness, if we wait till we get all of our ducks in a row, listen church, we'll keep waiting. But Paul does not accidentally say, I want to have the courage now. As I'm imprisoned, I want to have courage now to show the greatness of Christ on earth 
now. God could have redeemed us and taken us right to heaven, could He not? But we are redeemed sojourners left on this earth to proclaim the greatness of Christ, to bring glory to the Father, to make the Father's name famous among the nations. That's what those little packages do when we package them up and we send them to the nations. Can you imagine just from southern Indiana alone, 16,502 boxes going from... Can you imagine our church sending 600 boxes at the end of this year? That's 600 seeds of the gospel. It's a way of showing the greatness of Christ. What will it take for you to live in a courageous way that the greatness of Christ would be fully on display at your work, at the ball field, in the schoolhouse, in the marketplace, in the church, in your home. While we were in Indonesia, we uh, flew Chicago, Tokyo, oh my goodness, long flight, into Jakarta. We flew from Jakarta down to Jojakarta, and that's all on Java. So we flew into Jojakarta, into central um, Java area. We arrived there and spent the first week, um, fellow colleague Dr. Martin and I had the opportunity to spend that week teaching at a seminary, an evangelical seminary there in Joja. And I began to hear the story of how that seminary came to fruition Dr. Chris, they, they don't use doctor. They, the, the affectionate term is Pa. Pa Chris. I kept thinking, who is Pa Chris? And then I figured it out. It's No, it's the founder of the seminary. Pa Chris, 40 years ago, studied in the States with a vision to go back to his country to start an evangelical seminary there in Georgia. He did. Small beginnings. His wife had also studied and had an earned doctorate. And their vision was to bring the gospel in a clear way to grow healthy churches through theological training there in Indonesia. That little bitty seminary started with a handful of students and a husband and a wife that had declared, God, use us. Make us vessels for honorable use. God, do great and amazing and marvelous things through us, not for our sake, not for our own kingdom building, but, but God, would you, would you use us to advance the gospel in our home country? They labored, they sacrificed for preparation, and then the coming back home today, 40 years later. There are 14 evangelical seminaries attached to that one seminary all across the most Muslim country in the world. Praise be to the Lord that Pa Chris and his wife prayed a prayer of God, would you use us to demonstrate the greatness of Christ in our own country? I'm mindful of another missionary that we had the privilege of meeting while there. We flew from, from Java 
um, to North Sulawesi. And then from there, we spent time in the Maluku Islands. We made our way to Ternate, and there we were able to spend some time and, and, and spend the night in fellowship with uh, two of our IMB missionaries that are there, Kenneth and Carissa. They had been in Sulawesi, they had been in Sumatra and other places in Indonesia for about eight or nine, ten years. God was using them in a dramatic way, but they began to push our mission board to say, we want to go to the Maluku Islands. We want to go to that far frontier. You probably don't know the history, but back in early 2000 to mid-2000s, there was such a rival. Thousands of Christians and Muslims fought and died over their faith. They still to this day tell the story of a boat filled with 53 pastors who were coming from the Maluku Islands to Monado, to a a training place there that we happened to have gone to. And in that passage, it was during these battles between these two faiths that this boat of 53 pastors disappeared. Never to be found. Fully confident that those 53 pastors from those little startup churches in the Maluku Islands were all captured and murdered for their faith. Can you imagine the 53 families that were devastated? Can you imagine the 53, 53 church families that had lost their shepherd and pastor? And this is the place that Kenneth and Carissa pushed to go to. Just in the aftermath of all of that. Why? Because the gospel needed to go. Because they would say to you today, if they were standing here, I tr- trust me, this is exactly what Kenneth would say, my life is all about Christ. And I want to live my life in such a way that I live it courageously now on this earth so that the greatness of Christ is fully on display. I ask you again, what will it mean for you individually, you as family units, and us collectively as the church called First Southern, what will it mean for us to live our lives recklessly courageously in such a way that Christ's greatness is on display for the world to see. What needs to change in our lives? I'm confident that what needs to happen for most of us is a recentering of our life. I am confident that what most of us need to do is to evaluate how we're spending our time, how we're spending our money, how we're investing the abilities and gifts that God has given to us. Church, this earthly life is important, don't get me wrong. And I want you to enjoy it. I want us to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the blessings God has given to us. 
But may our lives be centered on nothing less than Christ. So my challenge to you is this. This is step one in what seems now to be a series called Christ-Centered Living. Evaluate your life this week. That's exactly what Paul is doing as he is sitting in the Rome in a prison awaiting trial. There is the possibility of his death, yet he seems to have confidence that he will emerge from that prison to serve the church more. Listen, at the beginning of any year, most of us need to take time to evaluate our lives, our schedule, our relationships, our health, our commitments, our giving of time, talents, and treasures. We are a people who are earthly people. We are people who, because of that, are busy pursuing life dreams and goals, and I've said that's a good thing. We're seeking to achieve some significant things in 2017. Most of us probably have a list of things we want to see happen in 2017. But I often find that our eyesight is too nearly focused upon the path that's right in front of us. And we forget to look up and fix our eyes on the horizon. We fail to look forward into the future because we're fixated on the moment. Hear me say this this morning that we are to have goals and we are to pursue them ardently. But more important than pursuing goals, church, is that we are to pursue God. Pursue God. What I find is that when we fix our eyes on Him, all the other stuff, it all falls in line. That's that's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. Let this be a year in which you determine to love Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christ-centered living will require of us a refocus of fixing our eyes, indeed, on the author and perfecter of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews says. Your, our affections for Christ should grow this year, not lessen. Determined to pursue God, not as an achievement, of an additional goal, but is the greatest affection of your heart. So my challenge over the next couple of weeks will be this. Evaluate your life, be consumed with Christ and His kingdom. As we read Philippians, it's quite obvious that Paul is consumed with knowing Christ and advancing His kingdom kingdom. So again, what will it mean for you to recenter your life on Christ? What will it mean for you and I and us to live courageously for Christ? For some of you, for some of us, it may mean Walking across the street and knocking on a neighbor's door. Maybe we don't even know them. It's time to go introduce ourselves. I'm in a new neighborhood. I got some doors to knock on. I'm not the most extroverted person in the world, believe it or not. 
takes everything I have to do stuff like I'm doing right now. It takes everything I'm going to have to be able to go and knock on my neighbor's door and say, Hey, I want to say, Hey, I'm the neighbor you haven't come and welcomed. No. (laughs) But I really need to say, Hey, I'm excited about being your neighbor, and I can't wait to get to know you and your family. We'd love to have you over for a cup of coffee and some, some pie and some ice cream. For some of you, that's what courage is going to look like in the coming months. For some of you, courage is going to be trusting God with your finances and your resources, as we talked about in January. Being obedient to see what God would do. For some of you, it's going to be making the commitment that in 2017, you're going to get outside the four walls of this place and your workplace and your home. And you're going to be on mission for the Lord. You're going to go on a mission trip. You're going to go engage a lost people. For some of you, in the years to come, it's going to mean packing your bags. Maybe as the missionaries in the old did, packing your coffin and never returning to this place but going to the ends of the earth that Christ's greatness might be on display. Let us be a people who live courageously. Christ-centered living requires courageous living. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these men and women, boys and girls. Father, I pray for any who may, not, who may be here this morning who may not know Christ. The truth of the gospel is that you loved us so much that you sent your only Son that whoever would believe in him, they would not perish, but they would indeed have everlasting life. God, would you make that known to hearts this morning? And Father, for those of us who confess that, I pray that we would live our lives centered upon Christ, and we would say with Paul, the most important thing in our life is Christ. Reshape our lives, we pray, and give us courage now. Christ's name we pray. Amen.